Hello, and welcome to the Dr. Jocker's Functional Nutrition Podcast, the show designed to give you science-based solutions to improve your health and life. I'm Dr. David Jockers, doctor of natural medicine, chiropractor, and functional nutrition practitioner, and I'm the host of this podcast. I'm here to tell you that your body was created to heal itself, and on this show, we focus on strategies you can apply today to heal and function at your best. I'm excited about today's podcast, but before we jump in, I wanted to remind you to download this month's special gift at drjockersgift.com. From keto meal plans, smoothie recipes, to fasting quick start guides, we have a new complimentary gift every single month. To get your gift, simply visit drjockersgift.com. That's D-R-J-O-C-K-E-R-S-G-I-F-T.com. Thanks for spending time with me, and let's go into the show. I wanted to take a moment and tell you about one of my favorite companies, Paleo Valley. They make some of the world's best health products, and I really love their Essential C Complex, which is one of the only immune-boosting products on the market that's made from whole food sources of vitamin C that your body can effectively absorb. You see, most vitamin C products only contain a fraction of vitamin C called ascorbic acid. This is the synthetic form of vitamin C, and it's often processed with GMO corn. With Essential C Complex, you get the full spectrum of vitamin C with all the additional nutrients, minerals, and bioflavonoids that make it so powerful in the first place, the way nature intended. Paleo Valley Essential C Complex contains three of the most potent sources of vitamin C on the planet, the unripe acerola cherry, the amla berry, and the kamu kamu berry. The acerola cherry alone is 120 times more potent than an orange. The daily recommended amount of vitamin C was decided upon based on the amount of vitamin C you need to not get scurvy, not really the amount you need for a stronger immune system. This is why Paleo Valley Essential C Complex contains 750% of your daily recommended value of vitamin C, completely sourced from nature so you can thrive, not just survive. You see, vitamin C is an extremely fragile nutrient, and it can very easily lose potency if it's not processed correctly. So Paleo Valley has worked with the most responsible manufacturers they could find to gently break down each of these fruits, and to guarantee no vitamin C was lost in the processing, they recruited a non-biased, third-party tester to confirm it contains the amount they put on the label. Because in times like these, when everything seems uncertain, your immune system shouldn't be. Paleo Valley Essential C Complex is non-GMO, gluten-free, grain-free, soy-free, dairy-free, and made with all organic superfoods. No fillers or flow agents that you'll find in most supplements. Nothing weird, just food. Check out paleovalley.com and use the coupon code JOCKERS, just simply my last name, JOCKERS, J-O-C-K-E-R-S today to get 15% off your order. Hey friends, this podcast is actually an interview that I did a few years ago for a project I worked on called the Keto Edge Summit. The Keto Edge Summit was basically where I interviewed, I think it was like 36, 40 of the top 
keto experts in the world. We talked about all things keto. We talked about how to get the best results out of the diet. We talked about biohacking strategies to do to help improve your digestive system, to help improve your brain health, your energy, and really get the most out of life. And so this interview is with one of my good friends, who is an expert in many different areas. And you'll see as we, as we dive into this topic, just, uh, just how deep we go and uh, the quality of the content that you get. And so just a reminder, this is uh, roughly, you know, this is, I think I did these interviews in like 2017, 2018, so a few years old, but uh, the content is just as relevant. And uh, I know that it will make a difference in your life. So you will enjoy this content. And uh, if you wouldn't mind just leaving us a rating or review, your reviews really, really count. They mean the world to us and they help us get seen by more people. So if you just go to your Apple iTunes player and uh, rate us and leave a review, that will really help us uh, just be able to help more people and get this information out to the masses. Thank you for doing that and enjoy the podcast. Well, welcome everybody to the Fasting Transformation Summit, where we are uncovering the most ancient, inexpensive, and powerful healing strategy known to mankind. We're talking about fasting. And I'm your host, Dr. David Jockers, and I'm excited about today's interview because we're going to go into cancer, the idea of, you know, basically the metabolic theory of cancer. And really, you know, we've been told that cancer is a genetic disease for, for so long that yeah, we really weren't giving, given much hope other than conventional medical therapies and with, with what's happening with science and also just healing breakthroughs that are going on with a lot of different practitioners, um, we're realizing that that's just not the case and that fasting and ketosis can actually be really powerful tools to help in preventing cancer and also um, modalities that we can utilize, lifestyle interventions that we can utilize in order to overcome cancer um, and if we want to do, uh, you know, natural therapies or if we want to do it in combination with conventional therapies. And so I brought on a good friend of mine who also happens to be an expert in this area. This is Dr. Nasha Winners. And Dr. Nasha is the founder, CEO, and visionary of Optimal Terrain Consulting. She's a nationally board certified naturopathic doctor, licensed acupuncturist, and a fellow of the American Board of Naturopathic Oncology. She lectures, lectures all over the world, training physicians in the application of mistletoe therapy and consulting with researchers on projects involving immune modulation via mistletoe hyperthermia, and a ketogenic diet. She lives in Durango, Colorado. We were just talking about how there's snow out there right now. I'm in Georgia, Atlanta, Georgia here, and uh, doing this interview in October, and it's like absolutely beautiful. It's like perfect time of year out here. She's in Colorado in the snow. She loves that. I don't. That's why I live in the south. Her book, which she co-authored with Jess Higgins Kelly, is The Metabolic Approach to Cancer. Amazing book. I highly recommend it. One of the best books I read this year. And uh, that's why I invited her on to my Keto Edge Summit, as well as this fasting summit, because she is a pioneer in this area and just a wealth of knowledge and also just uh, has an incredible personality that's very endearing. And so, Dr. Nasha, thanks for being on the Fasting Transformation Summit. And I am saying your name right, right? You are rocking it. Because <laughs> I know everybody gets that wrong. Exactly, exactly. It is now emblazoned into your brain. <laughs> <laughs> that's right, that's right. <laughs> Well, tell us your story and how you got into this. 
Sure. Well, um, my experience is pretty basic. Uh, I had a, a diagnosis that was that left me with no options. Um, unfortunately, I had a lot of symptoms. I, I, I had a very a lot of illnesses and a lot of health issues in my youth. And so part of that, I think, is what kept me sort of in the dark about what was going on for me because it was sort of normal for me to have major digestive issues and um, pain patterns and hormonal patterns and period patterns that it just sort of evaded my attention for some time. It was more of just the same. By the time it really started getting bigger and louder and landed me in an emergency room um, several times a month over several months before the official diagnosis, um, just shy of my 20 20th birthday, so I was 19 at the time of a terminal uh, ovarian cancer process. I was so sick and so far gone that my organs were in failure. I was filled with ascites. I was terribly cachectic. And they knew that even um, pulling the fluid out of my belly was uh, um, could possibly kill me because of the fluid shift. And they also knew that chemotherapy at the stage where my organs were at that time would have absolutely killed me. So they basically said, you're going to die either way. You've got a few months at best. And of course, I now know that I probably had a few weeks at best from what I know of the condition that I was in. And they said, pretty much get your affairs in order. We can't even offer you therapy at this time. So sometimes when we're given no options, um, it opens up many options. So it set me on a journey 27 years later, as of October 21st of uh, 2018, I have been learning and applying what I've learned to my body as well as tens of thousands of patients um, over these years. And that was informed fully by one of the things I stumbled upon in my small, relatively underfunded liberal arts school. At the time, I stumbled upon an outdated textbook talking about the work of Dr. Otto Warburg and the metabolic approach to cancer. And from everything I was learning and reading at that time, that is the one thing that jumped out at me and stuck with me. Also at that time, I started learning about naturopathic medicine. I was on my way to conventional medical school. That was my, my goal, my journey, my vision. <laughs> Obviously, my life had a different plan. And I started running across the ancient works of people like um, Benedict Lust and other um, kind of pioneers of the naturopathic medical field, which utilized fasting as a means to heal the body. Of course, we didn't know about autophagy and even mitochondria at, you know, at that time of their work in the earlier 1800s. But what we now know today, when we look at the work of these pioneers way ahead of us, is they were onto something. And unfortunately, thanks to things like Watson and Crick and the DNA understanding of our um, uh you know, of like moving in that direction of, of disease as a, as a DNA issue, as a broken gene issue, we kind of left a lot of these pieces behind. But I'm here to tell you at that age when I was so sick, and when you have that much cachexia, you are um, a body that looks and feels like you're nine months pregnant or beyond, you don't have room for food. So my ability to eat was non-existent. And frankly, I think I was, I think I went in almost a 30-day fast in the beginning because I was so sick, anything I put down came back up. So I was able to utilize accidentally, out of sheer necessity, an old tool that you are doing an entire summit about right now. Absolutely. And I, I want to go into more detail on cachexia and cancer and fasting as we go through. So we're, we definitely want to come back to that because obviously a lot of people that are dealing with cancer are dealing with cachexia and the idea of fasting just seems so counterintuitive. So we'll definitely come back to that. But before we do that, you know, the title of your book is Metabolic Approach to Cancer. So what do you mean by the metabolic approach? 
Well, the metabolic approach, there are multiple ways to get your energy system moving properly and being flexible to whatever conditions it meets. So when I talk about a metabolic approach to cancer, I'm talking about manipulating our chemistry back to the way nature intended, okay? We have pretty much done everything against nature in living on the planet today. So things that affect our metabolic motor, of course, our first thought is food. So we've become pure sugar burners since the 1850s when we started to process sugar and flour and started to put it in everything. In fact, we were all low carb before that time. Um, about 30% of our calories came from carbohydrates, which today we would say, oh, that's a very low carb diet. Mm -hmm. Whereas today, an average of 70% of our diet is carbohydrates. So we've, in a short period of time, changed that engine and where we should have been moving easily and effortlessly into burning sugars and burning fats and adapting in our environment and our world around us, we've now kind of gotten stuck in one gear and that's where we've been in the sugar burning gear. Add to that light. Okay. Light has come on and, and I should say fake light. Okay. So bringing on artificial light into our world has been just as detrimental to our burning of our, of our metabolic engine as the food we ingest. And then things like just blue screen time in and of itself is far more toxic to the mitochondria than even probably sugar. So those are patterns. We're very out of rhythm, which when we're out of rhythm on our, like our metabolism via sugar metabolism, and we're out of rhythm with our circadian rhythm from light, dark cycles, that throws off our hormones, our stress chemistry, our sleep, you know, obviously our sleep patterns, our emotional well-being, our microbiome, um, our toxicant, you know, ability to deal with toxicants in our world around us, it throws off the whole terrain. And so helping my patients understand what is off in their terrain and prioritize and start to address those and restore the rhythm in their lives helps to make them that metabolically flexible um, being who has a much better outcome and to conventional therapies, to non-conventional therapies, and even for folks who are striving to prevent chronic illness and cancer overall. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it's, it's very thorough. And I love the idea of the terrain because in a sense, we're biological beings. And so the same concept of if we're trying to grow a garden, the garden has essential needs, right? We need, you know, we need soil that has nutrients in it. We need water, right? Good, clean water. We need a non-toxic environment. We need sunshine. Um, and, and we need love, right? And so, um, you know, and so it's kind of that idea of if we want to have a really good garden, right? We need that. And we, and we can't have weeds overgrowing either, right? So you think about like infections and things like that. And so you use this idea of the terrain tent. Can you describe each of these 10 elements? You go into a lot more detail in your books. So people can pick that up, but I would love for you to touch on each of these elements so people really have a good understanding of, kind of the holistic idea of our bodies and how it works together. Absolutely. And I love that you um, precluded that with the garden analogy, because that's precisely why I use the terminology terrain. Um, I, res I resonate with nature. And I think my patients can understand, even if they're not gardeners, those metaphors go, go far. So the first of the terrain 10 patterns, and these are patterns that over 25, 26 years of my own journey and that of helping you know, tens of thousands of patients, is the main 10 patterns that impact our 
our, our ability to fight disease or contract disease, okay? So it's pushing us into a continuum of health or disease. So the number one piece is our epigenetics. And I believe you've talked about this in other um, discussions, uh, both on this summit and previous, but basically that's what's been handed down to us from the generations above us. And things along the way in those previous generations, like a World War experience, so extreme trauma, you know, can change our epigenetic, our genetic expression, a toxicant exposure. So a lot of our World War or our Vietnam vets have come home with a lot of damaged DNA that they've passed into their children because of things like Agent Orange exposure. Those are examples, DES in our mothers who are trying to prevent miscarriage of the mothers between 19, late 1940s to 1970s were kind of put on these hormones that changed their epigenetic expression and made their children more susceptible to cancers and other illnesses in the future. So those are some examples that even though that might have been the deck of cards you were dealt in this lifetime, how you play them is entirely up to you, and we can change their expression with our diet and lifestyle. Part of that diet and lifestyle is the next piece, which is the sugar. We've already talked about why that's changed so much, where we went from five pounds on average of sugar per person per year to well over 175 pounds per person per year. It's like, just imagine how your car would run, dumping bags and bags of, of refined sugar into your gas tank. You might sputter down the road for a while, but it's not going to last long. And in essence, it's rusting us from the inside out, right? The next big thing that is very different to our humanity in the last 60 years or so is the toxicant exposures. We are swimming in them. Um, I love that even, you know, we all do our best to eat organic, but unfortunately things like glyphosate, Roundup, don't know those boundaries. They don't read signs and say organic, don't spray here because they drift. They have a two mile drift. They have a water, they infuse our water supply. They infuse our soil supply. And so that is what we're being exposed to constantly, even when you're doing the best you can. Plastics and other things have only been on the market for a short period of our human evolution, you know, time here. So um, there's a lot of things. I think about 80,000 new chemicals since the 1960s, of which only about 200 of them have been properly tested, and we hadn't even really done the testing for how they um, accumulate and bounce off each other. Then it moves into how those chemicals and the foods we eat and our epigenetics are impacting our gut, our microbiome. Okay, this is huge. We have been monocropping our food sources for the past 56 years, which guess what? has monocropped our microbiome. And our health is really based on our microbiome diversity. So we have de, you know, we have deconstructed the microbiome and monocropped ourselves as well, which has made us also more susceptible to disease process. Then we spill into the immune system. And in my world of cancer, you know, that is critical. In fact, just a couple of years ago, um, most of my oncology colleagues, unfortunately, still deny the, the uh, role of the immune system in treating cancer. But now that it's a billion dollar drug industry, it's now all the rage. In fact, it won the Nobel Prize in science this year. Um, so it's something that I take extreme uh, focus on in my patients, because you can push back the cancer all you want with any cytotoxic intervention, but if the immune system isn't intact, it will come back and back and back. That's why even the American Cancer Society statistics show that 70% of patients will have a recurrence in their after an initial diagnosis. That's, to me, that's, that's, not a, that's not okay. You know, we ought to do something different. 
Then after that, inflammation. We're an inflammation nation, right? And what used to kill us were diseases of you know, infections. Today we die of diseases of inflammatory processes, cardiovascular disease, cancer, diabetes, osteoporosis, Alzheimer's. They're all very inflammatory conditions. And we're just inflamed thanks to a lot of the things I just talked to you about, the food sources, the water sources, the air sources, um, the immune disruptions, the medications, the toxicants, all those things are contributing. One of the bigger drivers of inflammation is sugar, right? So that's a biggie. Then we spill into blood circulation and something known as angiogenesis. So angiogenesis is the growth of new vasculature to a tumor. So basically it robs the body of its nutri nutrients to give it directly to the tumor. They're greedy little buggers. They will di divert all the attention and all the nourishment to themselves. And they particularly love low oxygen and they particularly love lots of sugar. So you want to oxygenate the tissues, moving your body, exercising, saunaing, um, you know, doing hyperbaric oxygen therapies that strongly oxygenate the tissues. CoQ10 is a really great way to oxygenate the tissue because it also helps the, the heart. It's, it's heart food is what I tell my patients, so it helps them move better. So those are important. And if you sit on your butt all day, as most Americans do, we spend less than 15 minutes outdoors and most of us don't have any exercise outside of walking to and from the kitchen um, or to and from our work uh, car to the work. That's a problem. So we want to move the body. And then that segues into hormones, which you can probably already see how these all connect. Not one of them is happening in a in a vacuum but we are also swimming in a hormone soup today so I, I had a conversation in an interview yesterday that there really isn't such thing as estrogen deficiency it, it really doesn't exist there's estrogen metabolism problems okay there's epigenetic issues that influence how our body processes the hormones that we're being uh, you know, faced with we're already having a problem because of certain SNPs with how our endogenous hormones work, but now we're swimming and competing with exogenous hormones that are far more um, aggressive in binding into the receptor site and way more difficult to kick out of the building. So that makes us feel like we need more hormones. So we are just layer kicking and causing more problems and really we're just in a soup of it from the plastics to the endocrine disrupting chemicals to the body care products that are very endocrine disrupting. Our body is just covered with millions of mouths. Our skin is our largest organ of elimination and absorption, and we are smothering it with these chemicals that are changing our, our epigenetics and changing our hormone expression. And then the final two, to me, are very woven in together is circadian rhythm, which won the Nobel Prize in 2017. And I should also add that for sugar, 2016's Nobel Prize went to autophagy, which is the entire experience of what we're talking about today. But circadian rhythm... And being out of rhythm is very damaging to our immune system, to our hormone system, to our psychology, to our microbiome, everything. And that is often triggered by stressors from the environment and our response to stress. Um, so it's also impossible to get away from stress today. And we are swimming in that as well. And then, of course, all of these things impact our psyche our mental emotional health, which is the 10th, and our mental emotional health impacts those 10, those other nine terrain items. We know things like having an elevated um, ACE score, so a, an adverse childhood event score, anything basically over two out of 10 yeses on that questionnaire increases your likelihood of cancer and chronic illness into your adulthood. And these are 10 things that you would have been exposed to before the age of 18. So we know that shock, trauma, neglect, um, abuse absolutely 
changes yeah. our ability to fight disease. And if you then are staying in an abusive relationship or a toxic work environment, how can you possibly heal when you're being met with those types of things every day? So whew, that was a big one. Kind of blasted yeah. out. You know, I'm glad, I'm glad that I asked that question though, because <laughs> you know, I've been in this industry for a long time, right? So 10 years practicing, you know, probably 20 years studying it. And I've heard so many different people categorize all the, you know, major causes, right? Contributing factors in chronic disease. But I don't think I've actually heard somebody categorize it as well as you have. So mm -hmm. I really appreciate that. And, you know, it's really a masterpiece, the book that you wrote categorizing that and you're, you're just such a great spokesperson for it and so uh, by addressing the terrain 10 and you using this metabolic approach what kind of results are you seeing with your patients unbelievable results i mean because i'm also uh, a pretty obsessive blood test person mm -hmm. so i don't guess i tell my patients yeah. test we assess we address we retest and we adapt as we need yeah. to so we, for the most part, are looking at people's labs monthly and at the very least every three months, so quarterly. Yeah. So we are watching our results in real time. And we are watching patterns completely resolve in real time. It can happen in a matter of days, as we've seen when we've done immersion retreats, you know, cancer retreats where we've done their labs, basic CBC, CMP, and what my patients call the trifecta, LDH, CRP, and SED rate. Yeah right before we do our retreat and then test it a week or two after and see that we've changed parameters drastically okay from inflammation to blood sugar to uh, like overall immune function nutrient absorption organ function etc we can see that in just days of what we can change and one of the things that kind of segues into what we're going to be talking about is one of the most profound ways to change your labs very quickly is a three-day fast Okay. And there's a multiple way to do that. Three-day water fast, three-day dry fast, three-day bone broth fast. Those are things that can still help the body change its blood content, its physiologic content, literally within a matter of days. Yeah, absolutely. It's so powerful. And so let's talk, let's go into that. How can fasting be used as a tool for somebody, let's say somebody has a family history of cancer, like I have a family history of cancer, and I actually had developed skin cancer as well at uh, 28 and this is one of the motivating factors for me to uh, put my body into a state of ketosis to utilize this metabolic approach right and i, I actually had found dr thomas Seyfried's work in 2011 right yeah. and um you know started applying that and had great results myself personally and so now i just apply it number one to, to prevent disease um but also actually number two to, to thrive, right? I, I personally thrive utilizing this sort of fasting lifestyle, fasting ketogenic style lifestyle. And um, so if somebody's out there and they have a family history of cancer, how could they apply fasting and how could that help prevent cancer? Well, if you don't have, like if you are just completely new to this and you're still pretty uh, attached to the standard American diet, you know, and you, you don't know really what your labs look like and you don't really know what your overall health is. First of all, I would really strongly recommend you get someone on your team to make sure you are safe to do something like this, to embark on something like this. So a chiropractic physician, a naturopathic physician, a, a functional medicine practitioner, a nutritionist, a functional therapeutic nutritionist, not an RD nutritionist. Um, I'm sorry, but you have to qualify. Um, and, 
I've got a lot of RD recovery, a lot of RD nutritionist recovering friends who yeah. will also celebrate that. But basically, you need someone who has some nutritional training, which you don't get from your medical doctors, okay, unfortunately. It's just not part of their curriculum. So and some of them have gone on and studied on their own. Obviously, we have a lot of colleagues who definitely enhanced that knowledge base, but mo for the most part, it's going to be hard to find. So make sure you're set with somebody along those lines. But what's a very safe place to start is simply what I call a 13-hour-a-day fast. And this is based on basic studies, even in the last six months, from places like MD Anderson, simply showing that women, we're not even talking about what they're eating, okay? We're just simply saying they have a range of 13 hours where they're putting nothing into their body. So that literally means finishing dinner, say, 7 p.m., and not eating again till 8 a.m., right? So you're sleeping through the lion's share of that time. And what we've been able to show is simply, when we're not tweaking anything else but that. That alone lowers their risk of recurrence, and this is over 40,000, I believe, women that were studied for this, lowers their risk of recurrence by 70% wow. compared to someone who's having that late night snack or eating right when they bolt out of bed in the morning or even wake in the middle of the night hungry and need to eat. In fact, if you have to have a snack or wake up hungry or have to eat right in the morning, that is your first clue that you are metabolically inflexible. Okay. Yeah. We should all be able to easily and effortlessly go 13 hours without eating. Yeah. And if you can't, you definitely need someone on your team to start digging under the hood. That's the first starting point. That's an easy one. And then if you want to start to push it a little bit, I have my patient. So a cancer patient who's in a stable place in my practice, who's just like, I want to keep, you know, getting good response to my treatments. I want to keep this at bay. I want to keep things stable. I want to keep pushing back the, you know, progression. We do 13 hour every day. Twice a week, we do a 16 to 18 hour fast. So that's eating in a six to eight hour window twice a week. And then once a month, we do a three day fast. For those that are a bit depleted or scared of fasting, I um, have them bring on bone broth, really good, high-quality, organic, clean, clean, clean bone broth, preferably homemade, but there's a few companies that I like out there in the freezer section that are actually quite, quite good, um, thoughtful about their process, and of course, as much water, as much sea salt, and as much herbal tea as they want. Most people get through that first day, and they're like, I don't need any more bone broth. They feel great. It's a psycholo psychological issue for sure. That is sort of their ongoing maintenance program. People like Dr. Longo's work and what I definitely do with people who are doing chemo, like three, you know, chemo maybe every three weeks or every month is have them do the five-day protocol. Yeah. Now, Dr. Longo's work has brought on the prolonged fasting mimicking diet approach. That works very nicely for folks who are petrified of not eating anything or who have doctors that are really pushing back on them doing this. So it's kind of our it's like our um, uh, meeting you halfway approach, right? Yeah, but it's again, kind of a crutch to help somebody. Yeah. yeah. It's like, what, 250 bucks a month? Yeah. yeah that's so that. I'm like, uh, you could do this for free or at the yeah. cost of bone yes. broth, right? Right, right. <laughs> but again, that's available. And what we've seen with that is that alone, it works better than the chemo. Yeah. The chemo with that enhances, it's like an mm. incredible burst yeah. of the because it's helping the body um, get through the treatment, have less side effects, and actually sort of drive the treatment into those now vulnerable cancer cells. Cancer cells can't adapt like our healthy cells can. Right. So if they get too cold or too hot, or they get too hungry, too depleted of certain nutrients, 
they're vulnerable. So when you act, you bring on a ketogenic state, whether that was induced by fasting or a fasting mimicking diet or, or ketone salts or high fat, low carb ketogenic diet, there's multiple ways to get there. You make those cells very vulnerable. And so it's like that ketone state is the, is the Trojan horse carrying in the, the death missile to those cells. Yeah. It's that press pulse concept, right? By Dr. Dr. Thomas metabolically pressing the cancer with basically fasting, um, or, you know, a a ketogenic approach or a fasting mimicking diet, like you were talking about, uh, calorie restricted kind of plant-based ketogenic approach, which is what the fasting mimicking diet is. And then we're pulsing it with some sort of really strong oxidative therapy, in this case, chemotherapy or radiation. It becomes so much more effective. It does. And, you know, just to add to that, there have been plenty of studies and talking to my radiation oncology colleagues that are hip to this way of approaching cancer, of which there's a growing sort of force of them to be reckoned with, which is fabulous. But we already know we absolutely know without a doubt that sugar desensitizes, insulin and sugar desensitizes our cancer cells to radiation. Yeah. We also know that it desensitizes to a lot of other therapies, including aromatase inhibitors right. and androgen deprivation therapies, PARP inhibitors, okay, a lot of our targeted therapies, um, and likely our chemotherapy. We just haven't done the studies in there to know, but I can tell you from clinical experience, people's labs sure look different when they're fasting Mm. with their treatments and their side effects and symptoms and their rate of recovery and their quality of life through the process is absolutely better. When I speak to my colleagues who are nurses, oncology nurses in my own community, they always say they know who my patients are. They're like, I don't even have to ask. I know by how they're looking, how they're feeling, how easily they maintain their schedule through treatment, how quickly they bounce back, how positive and energetic they are, what they're eating when they come in or not eating when they come in. They're like, I know who you're seeing. And that population of oncology nurses are also waking up around the country and seeing Mm. the difference um, as the patients are gathered around together. It's visually incredibly apparent, as well as what they also see in the labs and how well the patients are tolerating therapy. We don't have to wait for you know, expensive, long-term studies right. to tell us this. It's in, we're seeing it in real life, in real time. <laughs> yeah, dozens of case studies, absolutely. Yeah. And so if somebody's going in for chemotherapy, okay, what we, let's say they've got a week to prepare. Okay, yeah. What do you have them do? So, you know, we're doing this interview on a Thursday, next Thursday at 11 a.m. They've got their first chemotherapy treatment. What should they do over the next week? I mean, you talked about getting a functional practitioner. So let's just say they start working on that. Okay. But what can they do at at home uh, to prepare their body? I love this. You know, simply speaking, get all of the of the heavy carbohydrates out from the get-go. We don't even have to restrict beyond that. At this point, when someone's brand new, I'm not looking at their, I'm not even looking at urine ketones, right? I'm not looking at blood ketones yet. I'm not looking at macros yet. Let's just get simple. Let's have you, if we only have a week to prepare, I want you off all grains, all legumes, all sugary fruit. I'm not even going to pull out berries or um, small Granny Smith apples at this point because that's sometimes a ripping off of the Band-Aid that's too much and that's a little crutch for people. I also try and get them to pull off alcohol and if they must have alcohol, dry farmed wines, um, a little bit, maybe a shot of tequila, a shot of um, uh, non-grain based vodka, if they have to have that. Like I work with people who are pretty much like boozeaholics and fast food junkies and so we start where they are. 
Okay, so let's just say you're the standard American person coming in. That's how I would do it. Pull that out. Not even restrict anything else, okay? Then the day you go in for treatment, maybe 20, 30 minutes prior to the treatment, if you're brand new to my world, maybe take a ketone salt, 20, 30 minutes to at least drive you, mm. you know, kind of, kind of fake it till you make it, drive you into a low, uh, more of a, even at least a nutritional state of ketosis, yeah. a therapeutic state to allow your... Um, cancer cells to be more vulnerable to those therapies coming in. When I have, let's say a month, yeah. that's when after the week, I start having them check their urine ketones. At that point, they should, when, especially if they're doing the 13 hour fast every day, that would also be part of that first week. Um, maybe now we're incorporating two days of a 16 fast a day and we're starting to check the urine. And once we see moderate to high ketones in the urine, then we know we can graduate on to blood ketones. Now, if someone's dealing with a stage one or two cancer, um, maybe we are going to strive for a, a nutritional ketosis, which is three and you know anything below three on blood ketones. If someone's got a very aggressive process and especially a brain cancer process, I want them in a therapeutic level, so above three on the blood ketones. That would be our goal, working towards that. But now these folks are already starting to become more metabolically flexible. Then we start to have them play with things like chronometer or my fitness pal and start to put in their macros so they can learn because everyone thinks they don't eat sugar until you start to put your stuff into that. So even RDA nutritionists say we should be eating less than 100 grams of carbohydrates a day, men 25 grams or less of sugar a day, and women 20 grams or less of sugar a day. Um, most of us are eating all of that by breakfast, the end of yeah. breakfast, every single day, right? So that's, that's just like RD nutritionist recommendations. But if you're dealing with cancer, it is very important, even if you're not in ketosis, to get yourself below 50 grams of carbohydrate a day, below 20 grams of sugar a day. If you're really trying to strive for a state of metabolic flexibility, you want to maybe even push that lower, maybe below 30 and 10. You know, those are kind of the places you play with. But any step you take, any step you take in that direction is going to make a very positive difference. It does not have to be perfect to be effective. I just wanted to take a quick moment to let you know that this episode of the Functional Nutrition Podcast is sponsored by our friends at Paleo Valley. They make the most powerful, pure vitamin C supplement you can get. Because unlike most vitamin C supplements containing synthetic ingredients that are created in a lab, Paleo Valley Essential C Complex is made from three of the most potent whole food sources of vitamin C on the planet. Nothing weird, just food. Check them out at paleovalley.com and use the coupon code JOCKERS, J-O-C-K-E-R-S, to get 15% off today. Oh, that's a great, you know, great, great word right there, right? You don't have to be perfect. You may not have to be in the therapeutic range to get the, to get the benefit. Now, let's say somebody's been, you know, going at this for a while, right? Following a lot, maybe they've listened to a lot of these summits. They're following a ketogenic diet, right? They still have cancer. They're doing the chemotherapy, okay? Let's say they have it tomorrow, okay? What would be kind of your ideal fast? Would it be like a 16-hour fast before 18, 24? Is there any research on, you know, kind of the, I guess you could say the minimal dose, right? The the amount of time where you get the most benefit, right, before chemotherapy as far as fasting, and then after that, you, you know, it's pretty much the same benefit. 
minimal required dose, I think is what I like. That's good. That's good. Yeah. So actually, we do have some of that data, which is pretty cool. Again, thanks to longevity researchers like people like Dr. Longo. A quick little side note there is all the longevity researchers around the world have absolutely shown that caloric restriction and being a bit underweight actually enhances your longevity versus hmm. the opposite. Yeah. Yeah. Just throwing that onto the table when people start to freak, because in the oncology world, the last thing they want you to do is quote unquote lose weight. Right. Well, I'd like to come back, circle back to that and cachexia in a bit, but specifically yes. what you're discussing, the perfect goal. So I talk, I give my patients like the gold, the silver and the bronze. Okay. Yeah. So the goal would be if you have chemo at 11 AM on um, Thursday morning, your last meal is at 11 AM on Tuesday morning. Okay. That's your last meal. Yeah. And, and um, then you're coming into chemo fully fasted. Yep. You're going to fast that entire day, and you're going to then break the fast on, so if you had it Thursday morning, I have my patients break the fast Saturday morning at 11 a.m. So yeah. that is yeah. five-day fast. That is based on the research of Dr. Longo. That is also based on the um, Prolon you know, ther therapy mimicking diet that he offers yeah. that covers that window as well. You can do it with water. You can do it with, I do not recommend dry fasting at all for my yeah. cancer patients. Right, right. Their electrolytes are way too funky, totally. so I want to put that on the table. Um, <clears throat> but you can definitely do it with water, herbal teas, and often bone broths, especially if they're on some things that are really depleting their electrolytes during this mm -hmm. time. Um, plus, if you're on keto, you're depleting your electrolytes, so it's nice to have the bone broths for my folks that are a bit vulnerable. But once yeah. you get a little good at it, you actually, a lot of people don't even want or crave the bone broths after a while, which is great. Um, but ultimately, that's gold. Uh, silver would be last meal on Wednesday at 11 a.m. Then you have chemo at, at 11 a.m. on Thursday, and then you break the fast at um, 11 a.m. on Friday. So kind of yeah. day four, day of, day after type, you know, kind of circled around that. That's, that's the silver platform. There's still so much happening in that time of yeah. what you're taking your chemistry. It's quite brilliant. But the, the, the bronze, if you will, sort of where you can get the bit, um, still some bang for your buck would be a 16 hour fast prior. Yeah. So you have that 11 a.m., just back that up that your last meal is what, sometime in the mid-afternoon? Right. Early dinner the night before. Yeah. Hydrate well the morning of. Exactly. Take yeah. your mug and bone broth if you're scared to the, to the yeah. chemo. But definitely something with a lot of, you know, hot tea and things that are very nurturing. I love, I love to drink ginger yeah. tea. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's, that's how yeah. I would how do about, it. How about some exogenous ketones, too? I know you had mentioned that. So yeah. that's another I, thing that they can do I, maybe beforehand. I, especially if they're yeah. hungry, shaky, that will kind of mm. pop them out of it pretty quickly. Yeah. And like a pack of, of those, you know, um, there's lots of different brands out there, but yeah. if you offer a typical dose, often my patients only need like a quarter to even half of that just to kind of yeah. find the pump a little bit, just kind of clear the, the brain, clear the shakies, you know, because they yeah. might, especially if they're new to this, they might be going through a little carb withdrawal at the same time. So yeah. the key can really help them get over that hurdle. Really, yeah, and, and typically the ketone salts usually have a bunch of electrolytes in them, right? So exactly. you get kind of the benefit there. Plus the ketones right. go up, and so that can exactly. be really, you know, that's going to reduce the inflammasome. So like when you get that chemotherapy in there, um, you know, that can be a nice little little crutch for you. So I love it. I love it, and I definitely even if I have folks in robust um, levels of ketosis, therapeutic ketosis even before an oxidative therapy like hyperbaric yeah. radiation, hyperthermia, 
IV vitamins, high dose IV vitamin C, mm -hmm. I would have them take 20, 30 minutes before ketone salts. I want them oh, that's good. really topped in those yeah. oxidative therapies like that um, because those go in hard and come out pretty yes. fast. And so take advantage of that with the ketones. It really is protective to the whole, mm. but also really yeah. drives those therapies because they tend to have a lot of fallout, a lot of um, tumor lysis, a lot of um, cytokine release, and that can just feel yucky. So yeah. that will pop through the yuckies. Yeah. Oh, I really like that. You would need some ketones. <laughs> yeah. Oh, can you hear my little one? <laughs> it's okay. That's... It's good for me. I just cracked it because I was laughing about your little one and yeah. my dogs that are wandering yeah. around. Like, yeah, I got a, I got twin. They're, they're uh, at this point. By the time the summit runs, they'll be three, right? So they turn three Yeah, and then I also have a five-month-old as well. And so, um, so this house is, you know, there's always somebody crying, right, in the house. Usually, usually you and your wife. I'm assuming. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Well, I will tell you that you know, having three kids under three is a lot of work, and and using fasting has really helped because like my energy is amazing my productivity is incredible people are like how are you doing so much and you know being there for your family in years past it would have just totally dragged me out right i would have been so burnt out but but fasting has really supported me and uh you know no matter no matter what kind of stress i'm under it's like i just feel so resilient and, and okay. fasting lifestyles help and that's one of the reasons why i was inspired to to do this summit here and so um, you've given us some really great advice as far as how people can apply fasting, particularly when it comes to cancer and cancer therapies. So, so let's talk about, because, you know, we want to touch base also on cachexia, uh, because obviously, you know, and I have a, a patient going through this right now where she's very, very, very thin, okay? And, um, you know, she's very, very worried about fasting at this point. And so, um, you know, the, the idea, the thought would be, well, if you fast, you're gonna lose even more weight, okay? And of course, the doctor's saying, you just need, doesn't matter what you eat, just eat a lot, right? And, and you just need to gain weight and you need your energy, right? So you need to eat for your energy. Oh and so what are your thoughts on that? First of all, so wrong. <laughs> it's hard for me not to even throw F-bombs or what the hell bombs on these. So, um, but it's, it's, it's insane because we actually have Loads of evidence showing that the, the way that suggestion we've given to cachexic patients for 50 years in oncology has never worked ever. Yeah. Yeah. Eat 20,000 calories, drink a boost shake every hour, get right. you know, total parenteral nutrition, and you will die of cachexia. Yeah. yeah. Okay. In fact, what I'm here to tell you is those are absolutely going to speed up. The dying process. There's my colleagues in the oncology world, in nurse and hospital wards, everywhere. When someone gets on something like TPN, um, they call it the death march. Mm. Okay, it's known as the beginning of the end. So that might scare some people who are listening to this. That's why there's better ways. That's why there's different. There's even you can even get sort of keto friendly TPNs that are at least better. They're not very yeah. clean. But they're a heck of a lot better. Request better options. Yeah. At least they're not loaded with sugar. I mean, if you look at Ensure, the first couple ingredients are corn maltodextrin, which is GMO sugar. Then they have the actual sugar. Then they have glucose, right? Then they have fructose, right? So it's like first four ingredients, and then they have corn oil and soybean oil right after. And the only thing that ensures is your death. Yeah. And more metabolic, because cachexia is a state of met metabolic dysregulation. It's not a calorie in, calorie out process. So there's a few things here. Cachexia is a metabolic process that you can see on laboratory investigation. Yeah. 
being skinny is not dangerous, does not kill you. Being cachectic does. 40% of cancer patients succumb to cachexia, so it's a big deal. But it's being treated, the reason why they succumb is they're, became, they're being treated for it incorrectly. Okay. And they're terrified to do anything different because they're trusting at this point, really bad, really outdated advice. Okay. So, so cachexia, the way we know someone's actually in cachexia is to look at their labs, not their bodies. Yeah. Okay. Don't look at the bodies. The bodies mean nothing because you have fats, fat, fat people in cachexia and you have super skinny people down to skeletal levels that are not cachectic at all. Labs are the determining factor. We are actually looking for something known as sarcopenia. So all in combination, for someone to be in a state of cachexia, you have to have at least two things happening. Low albumin under 40, right. under four, and low protein under seven. If both of those are low, I know they're in a state of low-grade cachexia. If we also see low, low calcium below like 8.8 and low creatinine below six, we're in full-blown yeah. If you look at their um, creatinine and whatnot, you'll also see those are quite elevated. They're breaking down muscle yeah. very, very quickly. Right. You'll see elevated LDH, lactase dehydrogenase in these patients. Mm. That's when you know you're in a free fall of sarcopenia, cachectic state. Yeah. Looking at someone, measuring them on a scale will never tell you anything. Not even and body. Exactly. And that's all a, just a simple, complete blood count and metabolic. $12 out of pocket. Yeah, exactly. $12 yeah. out of pocket. So here's the difference. A story that I always highlight to my patients so they understand how big of a deal this is. We had people who survived unbelievable atrocities through the Holocaust, okay, through World War II mm -hmm. in these camp concentration camps that were literally starved down to nothing but bones, okay? Here's all these people that somehow survived those atrocities. And the second we burst open the doors and came in to liberate them, we handed them candy bars, okay? Do you know how many thousands more patients died right after that? We don't, we don't, we've lost, mm. we don't even know for sure. What happened and what stimulated an entire study of this was something called refeeding syndrome. Look it up, folks. This is what your doctors are doing to you when they put you on TPN, when they put you on Boost and Ensure, especially if you've been eating a metabolically flexible kind of diet, a lower carbohydrate diet, or been fasting, and they put that in, the danger of actually putting you into immediate end organ failure is very real. Okay, yeah. I've seen this. That's one of the things I've seen kill my patients over and over, over and over in the years. No matter how much I'm screaming this at them and their family members, they get bullied into this you know, and, and um, I've luckily, luckily been able to pull people through it. But the only way personally I have ever seen to overcome cachexia is with a, a metabolic flexible state, whether that's yeah. high fat, low carb, whether that's fasting and ketone um, salt supplementation. Those are yeah. the only ways I have personally ever seen. And luckily people like Dom D'Agostino and others are doing research. We actually have several trials going on on this. Mm know and have known for some time that more calories and more carbohydrates will never overcome this. And yet the first thing yeah. patients are told is eat whatever you want, eat a lot of pasta, eat a lot of bread. And they do because their brains aren't working, right? They're right. very starved. And so in my cachexic patients, sometimes we need a little bit more protein. We never need more carbohydrate. 
Okay. What are your I'm, thoughts about like branch chain amino acids or something that like that? That can definitely yeah. help. And if I have access to patients in an environment where they have an integrated practitioner that does IV mm-hmm. therapies, bring on amino acid IVs. Um, we bring on amino acid lipids. We do a lot mm-hmm. of things to intervene. Um, I even have um, through Charlie's foundation, they make a, a cookbook called Keto Blender, Blender Keto. Yeah. Really good. We put that into feeding tubes. I've had patients in comas. We put into feeding tubes like that and they've completely come out multiple times. In fact, wow. I have a few that will tell their stories someday of this. Um, I have patients who've gone fasting because of uh, bowel obstructions, 10, 12, 20, 30 days, um, and gone back in for a scan to start to initiate therapy when it seems like they were their bowels are moving again and no evidence of, of cancer. I've seen that over and over and over and over again. Wow. Too much everybody's dismay. In fact, I just had that um, response yesterday from a patient who's been... Um, fasted because of a, of a bowel obstruction from a, um, ovarian cancer and everyone was ready to start blasting her with radiation and chemotherapy. And she went in to have a debulking first because they thought, well, maybe we can get some of the tumor out of the way. Now they got in there. It wasn't cancer. She had a little twist in her colon mm. and she's been implementing fasting a lot. And this is a woman who had, uh, had no response to conventional therapies, um, had multiple recurrences and progressions and, um, has not been on chemo for over 11 months now. So this is incredible that her oncologist, luckily her oncologist is so excited about it. He's giving my book to every one of his patients has been for months now, just watching her process, but do not underestimate the power of a free therapy and do not get swindled and seduced by very outdated, misinformed dietary advice with regards to your cancer care. Yeah, absolutely. So true. And so, you know, cachexic patients can really do a lot of the things that we're talking about in this summit. And one of the concepts we've talked about is kind of this feast famine, right? Where we're consuming similar amount of calories, you know, roughly, we're not necessarily counting calories, but we're eating to satiety, we're just eating less often, right? So the meals will be larger typically, um, although, you know, satiety points can, can change and, and, you know, Absolutely. we're not trying to force feed beyond satiety, but if they were to reduce their feedings to two to possibly even one time a day, right? At times, it can be really, really powerful. So interesting with cachexic patients, their appetite goes away. It's part of the condition. Yeah. So what I have to do, because if they try and eat a big meal at one time, it backfires. Yeah. So actually, my folks are actually truly in cachexia, not the skinny ones, okay? Truly in a metabolic state of cachexia. I have them set an alarm, mm. and I have their family and friends rally around them, and I have them eat something, mm. nutrient-dense, typically high in fat, every hour. Yeah. And I tell them, I'm like, your stomach is the size of a fist. I want you to at least get a quarter of your fist into your body every hour. Mm. Okay. Then it yeah. out and it keeps them, then it starts to kind of reset and re-trigger the desire to eat again. It's like you're, you're exercising a muscle that was a bit, you know, um, depleted. Um, and so that's really powerful. The other thing that can really help these patients overcome that blocked needing or wanting or having a desire to eat is medical marijuana. Okay. Oh yeah. And, and high yeah. CBD. This is one of the biggest gifts. The formulation mm-hmm. that we created for our patients years ago was a CBD formulation for Kit We basically made our own shake. Because of FDA regulations, we did not have the million dollars to infuse into it, but I have a lot of patients who will tell you that it saved their ass <laughs> multiple times. Yeah. So 
kind of having them build it themselves. It was like we kind of had the foundation and they added their own stuff with recipes. Eventually, we know we're going to get an investor who wants us to actually turn this and we'd like it to be mm. the next boost or ensure, but yeah, on a whole different ballgame, right? <laughs> um, and so we have people interested, obviously, because it's a huge issue to worry about because yeah. we, we see sarcopenia, cachexia, not just in cancer, but in cardiovascular, like con congestive heart failure, um, AIDS processes, other muscular, like um, uh, uh, MS and uh, Lou Gehrig's disease. We see that sarcopenic wasting in a lot of other chronic conditions. So this goes beyond the cancer patients, mind you, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's been five kids. That's actually how this formulation got started. Was a patient who had a child that's failure to thrive, and um, they didn't expect him to survive, and now he's like eight years old. You know? well, this, is, this is like a meal replacement with CBD. Yeah. Ah, such a great idea. I know. Yep. Yep. <laughs> really great. When it comes out, I'll I'll uh, I'll I'll, purge, I'll I'll invest in. Right on. Right on. <laughs> there you go. Great. Um, so let, let's talk about how you apply fasting. Like what is your typical schedule like, let's say on like a week or monthly basis or however you, you apply either extended fasting or intermittent fasting? Perfect. Well, again, I had some accidental forced fasting early on, yeah. but then going on with that process, I learned that it was actually good for my body to have a good five to 10 day fast um, each season. That's basically mm -hmm. how I've been doing it 27 years at this point on purpose, you know, at that point. Um, the other thing you had mentioned before the show that you had just had a really bad illness recently and kind of accidentally fasted and it did wonders for you. Oh, yeah. I had a similar situation, um, in, uh, Portugal many, many years ago. We don't know quite what it was. We don't know if it was my cancer on the move, which what we were actually were thinking was going on or what, but I got super, super sick, anything down, likely about obstruction, but I ended up fasting for two weeks, laying on the couch of my sister-in-law while she was traveling in the U.S. I was staying in her place in France and couldn't eat a thing, couldn't get up, couldn't get off the couch, nothing. And at the end of that two weeks, it was like, finally, this is early on in my cancer diagnosis, I popped through something mm. really big and frankly, never went back to square one where I had been struggling for a couple of years to get me out of that place. So that was an incredible moment for me. And that's why it became a ritual seasonally. Today, um, I still kind of like to do like a three to five day fast minimum seasonally. But typically during the week, when you talked about how you can cope with three, you know, three little ones under the age of three and life and your, your work and everything else, my jamming days, I have 16 hour work days, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursdays, just back to back, wow. really dense patient schedules. That's when I fast yeah. and that's most on. And yeah. that's when I'm like clear as a whistle. Most of the time I'll just not eat anything during that time. Maybe a cup of broth here and there if needed, lots, lots and lots and lots of herbal tea and lots and lots of water and sauna. And I work out and do all those things. Every once in a while, I'll eat very much. Maybe I'll have a light meal because my husband loves to cook and that's his love language. Mm -hmm. So I might eat something small with him in the evenings on those days, depending on our schedules and what's going on. So ultimately maybe a 22 hour fast, you know, for each of those three days. Um, but that's huge. And if I know if I've got something like holidays coming up, I will sort of preempt because I know I give myself some flexibility. I am super metabolically flexible now that if I overeat something in the carbohydrate place the next day, um, I can be just within a 13 to 14 hour fast. I'm already back yeah. into nutritional ketosis. I don't have to yeah. try anymore. Just going to bed and waking yeah. up, I go into ketosis. That's a beautiful place to yeah. be. But around the hall, things where I know I'm going to maybe push my limits a little bit, I might thoughtfully do a longer fast before and after just to kind of the pre clean up and the post clean up. Yeah. 
Absolutely. I mean, it really gives you more freedom in a sense. Uh, time freedom because you're not trying to prepare meals. Mental freedom because especially, you know, fasting, I always tell people it's, it's like exercise. When you first get started, it's very uncomfortable. You don't feel good. You think it's a horrible thing. But as you start to train your body, you actually start to crave it and thrive under it. I know for me, I do um, three days a week where I do one meal, kind of like what you're doing, right? Yeah. So for me, it's typically Wednesday, Saturday, and Sunday. I just do one meal. Um, and then my workout days where I do like strength training, yeah. I do two meals on those days. Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, and Friday typically. And it's like, by the time I get to Wednesday, like my body's like ready for the, for the 24-hour fast I'm about to do. I'm like craving it. Like I haven't eaten since lunch yesterday and I feel amazing. My body was craving kind of this more extended period of time and you start to do that. And so, and it does give you more freedom to where your body's more carb tolerant yeah. um, as you build yeah. this fasting muscle. So you don't have to, even though, you know, you obviously want to make good food choices, you don't have to be quite as strict when you do eat because you're eating less often. And that's a great thing. And you know, and another strategy just, you just made me think of when you were describing these things. Um, I always, when I do international flights, I just don't eat because yeah. it's like poison. I don't want to haul all my food with me on a 12, 13 hour totally. flight. Um, and I get off that plane when I used to eat, even if I brought my own food, I would have terrible lymphedema because of my own medical history for days after. Mm. If I don't eat now on international flights, I get no lymphedema. Yeah. That was Aha, I tried that mm. event a couple years ago. I was like, how did I never do this? <laughs> um, and any, even short flights, I just like kind of know on travel days, if yeah. I've got kind of a total of six hours or more a day of travel, I just don't eat because yeah. it just to keep me ready. So especially like if I'm going to a conference, like we had ready to go speak at a conference in San Francisco this weekend, I won't eat on that, you know, the day traveling. So then I'm crisp and clear from my talk, you know, on Saturday type of thing. Yeah. So that's how I've just learned what, how my body responds to how she wants it done. Yeah. And of course, you know, for people, I don't cheat because my body really freaks out. I can't do grains. I've got celiac, so I don't go out. So I, you know, I know my own places. It's not worth it to me to go and have a piece of, you know, cornbread. It just isn't. Um, but other people have a little more flexibility to that. But what I can cheat more on is I love a really good kind of keto margarita or a beautiful glass of wine or seasons. I love when cherry season was in in July and it didn't throw me out of ketosis or peach season. Those are kind of my cheats. That's what I would want to gravitate for. I, I, could, I could give a crap about bread or grain. It's a great seasonal fruit. That's, a, Seriously. that's yeah. beautiful. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, that brings up just the fact that a lot of people think fasting is something maybe men can do you know fasting is very popular online and most of the people that are teaching fasting are men right and so a lot of people are thinking we have a lot of women speakers in this summit and so a lot of people think well women can't fast or you know fasting is bad for women and so you're here a woman fasting yeah. right um yeah. and you've been doing this for 27 years applying this and yeah. so and you're working with a lot of women that that are fasting. Really? so okay. what are your thoughts on that well, I love that you brought that up because there is a little bit of mythology around this. You want to work with someone's chemistry, but I'll give, I'll be a little TMI for a moment, but I'm definitely moving in at 47 years old, moving into perimenopause and some things are changing in my body. And I actually find right before my cycle, I can't fast. I, I get yeah. hungry. So mm -hmm. I listen to my body. Yeah. And as soon as the weather starts to get cold, the first bit, I'm like, I can't fast this week, but I'm doing things like more brothy. I'm still eating maybe caloric restricting in those days. Yeah. So I just listen to my own feedback. But as far as thyroid, the myth that this hurts your thyroid, my thyroid 
is working for the first time in my entire life mm. by incorporating yeah. this on a regular basis. Um, as far as, um, you know, like stamina and adrenal function. For me, my particular SNP profile, my particular chemistry, this actually lessens the stress load because my body gets stressed when it has to digest. I've always joked with my husband, I wish I could be a breatharian. That's what <laughs> Please, can't I just be a Because I feel like a shift. My chemistry is so sensitive. I'm a canary in the coal mine with so many foods and so many things because of my medical history and my the types of things I was fed as an in, as a baby and whatnot. It's really messed with my microbiome. That I'm just very vulnerable. So I, for me, feel better now. Women who are concerned about this, that's why I don't let have them do just water fast. That's why a bone yeah. broth is absolutely fantastic. You are not causing any problems with this. You're getting all of your major minerals and nutrients. And if you want, I love things like Dr. Cowan's green. So drcowansgarden.com, you could sprinkle those into your um, bone broth, you know, to get a little nourishment. If you feel like I have to get something more in here or take a little tablespoon of coconut oil, if you just feel like you need something, but you really, it's more emotional. It really yeah, is. Yeah, it really is. I mean, I, that was that's really the biggest thing is it's a mental emotional block. And I, I think what people have to realize, again, it's like exercise. If you went to the gym, if you were sedentary, if you're not worked out in, let's say, 10 years or, or your whole life, you went to the gym and you worked out with a personal trainer, somebody that was really pushing you, you would be extraordinarily uncomfortable. For days, um, week yeah, and you would, and, and if you based all of exercise off that one experience, you would think, this is terrible. How could po- people possibly do this? This can't be good for me. Yet in our society, of course, our, we know that it's not, right? We just understand that. And it's really the same with fasting. Your first experience, don't expect it to be comfortable or fun, right? It's not fun or comfortable. But as you start to build up you know, your, your fasting muscle, it gets easier. And you actually start, your body, start, you start listening to the messages that your body gives you. You get a better intuition, a better... Um, overall perspective on food and your emotions. I love that because most of us in the world today use food to treat our emotional being. Right. And especially if we use carbohydrate, sugary, starchy, rich foods, I often, you know, I ask my patients, what what are you, what sweetness are you lacking in your life that you have to fuel it with this? That sometimes gets a little bit of a whoa kind of moment, but you know, food is medicine and it's love and it's celebration and it's connection. And so what I try and help folks realize is, um, you know, there are other ways you can still sort of gear, maybe have a bone broth evening with your girlfriend, you know, like have them come over or, or, um, you know, go instead of going out to dinner or going out for cocktails with friends, go for a walk in nature, go do something else. You start to find other ways to connect and create new ritual and new sweetness, you know, bring in different sweetness from different aspects of your world around you. Yeah, I love that. Like my, my wife actually likes, I, I typically fast uh, through dinner when I'm doing my fasts, mm-hmm. breakfast and dinner. I usually eat lunch typically unless I'm traveling or something like that. Mm-hmm. And my wife loves it because dinner is when I'm with my family and my mm-hmm. little boys need a lot of help. <laughs> so so like, I'm like hundred percent with them, making sure they're eating all their vegetables. You know, I mean, just I'm a hundred percent with them, which makes her life a lot easier. So it's better. I'm more, I'm more focused on whatever we're uh, having a conversation about. And I just had a patient yesterday, actually, I was, I was talking to about this and she's like, well, what do I do? She's like, I like to go out with my friends, 
She's like, but I don't always get to pick the restaurant. And I said, we'll do this. I said, the days you don't get to pick the restaurant and there's nothing, you already know the restaurant they're going to choose and, and there's just not healthy food on there. That's your fasting day and you're 100% focused on the conversation and the relationship. You're not thinking about the food. And then you get a turn at some point to pick the restaurant, okay? And then that's when you get a chance to, you know, obviously enjoy the, the food with them. So it's not like you always have to restrict yourself, but being 100% focused on the conversation and the relationship, that's something we're typically not doing anyways. Yeah, exactly. um, and it'll make you a better friend. Yeah. And I think it will, it will change and shift your life in a, in a positive way. That's what I told her. And she was like, you know what? That's, that's true. So. I love that idea. That's a really good idea. And also I'll tell you, as a woman who's got a, a really good sisterhood bossy around me, um, you'd be amazed after they have an experience of the way you live your diet or your lifestyle yeah. when they join you on that. They're like, well, that feels really, that's, just, that's easier than I thought. And now when I go out the girl, we know exactly where we can safely go eat or we go to each other's houses and everyone knows what to bring out. It's so funny now that we are, we are easy with each other. We all recognize that this is good for all of us, not just Absolutely. for me. They all kind of did it to kind of humor me to help me through my process, but they're like, well, dang, my Hashimoto's is totally improved. My, you know, extra 20 pounds after baby is, is gone. My brain is working better. My skin is better. My libido is better. Like all these different things. Like they're like, could it really be that? I'm like, yeah. <laughs> so it's pretty cool. Yeah, it's so powerful. And then just, you know, getting through the idea that you're being deprived, right? I think that's oh, huge. That's yeah. so huge. And I know for me, that was a big deal. Like it, to me, just fasting seems so lonely. And like I was being deprived and it was really just a mental, emotional issue. I grew up in a big family, lots of kids. And so it was like, I didn't get attention. You know, I had to fight for food. I had to eat my food faster than my brothers and sisters to get more. Um, and so it really, as I started fasting, it really opened me up to emotional growth and spiritual growth in that area. Um, and now it's like my wife or whoever can be eating whatever they want, even a food that like is healthy that I love, right? If I'm... If I'm, if I'm in a fasting mode, if I know I'm fasting, yeah. it has no impact on me. I love it. That's exactly, exactly. Especially when you start to actually recognize that you are taking the garbage out every single time you take that break. That's why we yep. called it break fast, right? Breakfast. You don't break fast anymore. We're in a constantly overfed and undernourished state in our world around us. And when you can have those little breaks... Um, you start to gain clarity in other aspects of your life, not just literally in the GI tract. Yeah, yeah, uh, so true. I mean, this has been a, such a great discussion. I could probably talk with you for hours. We could talk all day about this. But with that said, um, what are some final words of inspiration for the listeners, and where can people find out more about you? Well, definitely the metabolic approach to cancer that I co-authored with Jess um, Kelly is a great start. Um, also, um, on kind of Facebook, you can follow us under that same title of the book, or Optimal Terrain, or under my name, Nisha Winters. You can find me there as well and follow the type of things I post regarding topics such as this. Um, also, uh, as far as a word of wisdom, I just, you know, we, we're just living laboratories. You know, you have to be willing to get outside of the conventional box and the con conventional misguided wisdom and just try some things on for you. If one component, there's a million different ways to fast or to get into ketosis or to become metabolically flexible, start to try them on for size and see what works for you. And as I said earlier, and the piece I'd like to leave everybody with is you don't have to be perfect at this to gain 
wonderful insight and gain wonderful benefit. Love it. Well, there you guys have it. That's Dr. Nasha Winner's Amazing Metabolic Approach to Cancer. Definitely go out and get that book, especially for those of you that are practitioners or if you have a family history of cancer. Amazing book. I highly recommend it. Again, it's the best book I've read in 2018. Still have two and a half months left, but you know, I think you got the I think you got the prize for that. So thank you so much for your contribution. And for all the listeners out there, I want to remind you of this that fasting has the ability to unlock the dormant healing potential within you. It's safe, it's powerful, and it just might transform your life. So hopefully you enjoyed this interview. And if you've been enjoying the content we've been putting out, then I want you to consider owning the entire Fasting Transformation Summit for yourself. That way you get all the bonuses, you get the transcripts, you get the MP3s so you can be listening to these interviews. And that, that's going to obviously improve your, 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 your information load, your education. It's also going to help empower you. And I find it especially helpful if you're just getting started with fasting, whether it's intermittent fasting or an extended fast, to be listening to interviews like this because it will inspire you and help you move through the uncomfortability and really get the results from it. So if you consider owning this, we would be really honored. And we'll see you on a future interview. Be blessed, everybody. Well, that's all for this show. And I want to thank you again for spending your valuable time with me today. And if there was something you heard in this interview that you have questions on or you want to dive into deeper, then drjockers.com is the best place to go. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider taking just a quick moment and giving us a great review. Your reviews help us influence more people and transform more lives. And if you took something valuable away from this episode, then please share it with someone in your life you know it can help. We'll see you soon on a future podcast. Be blessed, everybody.